turn with me uh, to Revelation chapter 7. That's where we're going to be tonight. Revelation chapter 7. And I realize that uh, last week I, you probably can't believe this, but left out about a third of the sermon or the teaching, but I guess we had to get going, so uh, we did that. But so we'll, we'll, we'll just uh, make sure we talk about it just here uh, for a minute. Remember this with the book of Revelation. You're going to get so sick of me here saying this. We're just following the divine outline. That's what we're doing. We're following the outline that uh, the Lord set forth uh, through John in uh, uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, where he says, Write the things which you have seen, chapter 1, and the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, and the things which will take place after this, chapters 4, really through the end of the chapter, but 4 through 19, 4 and 5 is the things that happen after, the, happen after this. That's the church age. The church age is seen in chapters 2 and 3. What will happen after this? Well, we see the church in heaven in chapters 4 and 5. We see the lamb who's worthy to take the scroll and unseal it or unfold it or unfurl it or however you say it. And he starts to do that. And we went through six seal judgments last week. Remember, uh, I had to, and here's where I uh, uh, didn't teach you one-third of the sermon. I had you read uh, three scriptures before we even started. Daniel 9, which talks about the 70th week of Daniel. That's the period of tribulation of seven years, that 70th week. It's also called, and know this from Jeremiah, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob is another name for a person who's called what? Israel. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, that seven-year period. Well, during that period, after these things, we get a picture of the church, chapters 4 and 5, in heaven. And we see what we're doing. uh, See what we're doing. uh, We're worshiping the Lord. The Lamb takes the scroll, and he unfurls that. And we start to see uh, uh, those scroll, or excuse me, seal judgments happening. We see the four horsemen. The four horsemen come in and what they represent. We see, you know, the fake one, uh, the Antichrist coming in verses 1 through 2 of chapter 6. We see this massive conflict on earth in chapters 3, or chapters, verses 3 through 4, verses 3 through 4, the red horse. We see uh, inflation and scarcity and famine in the black horse five uh, through six. And then we see widespread death on the earth as the time of Jacob's trouble begins. When he'd opened the fourth seal, remember, there was a pale and a sickly horse. It's a, green, a word for pale and sickly green. And there was this power was given over a fourth of the earth to kill with a sword with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And the fifth seal was the cry of the martyrs, the cry of the martyrs who were slain for the word of God and for the testimony. We talked about that. And the sixth seal, all those unbelievable uh, disturbances in the sky, in the sky. And I had you, or we talked about at the end, the great day of his wrath has come. It's important that you remember That word is in the aorist tense. I would write that down. And the reason that's so important is this uh, uh, signifies not something that's about to happen, but something that's already come and is happening. That's important. Why? Because we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. And many people point to that verse right there that says the, uh, uh, the, the tribulation hasn't started yet or you're uh, being raptured before that uh, verse 17 right there. But uh, we have been raptured even before all of the disturbances have been happening. You see that? Okay, here's the other thing I had you read. I had you read uh, the Thessalonians uh, passage, which talks about the restraining power of the Holy Spirit. 
of the restraining power of the Holy Spirit when he lives in us, remember? And I read you a quote from Donald Barnhouse. Even though we're going to be out of here, that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit can't do his work here on earth. It's just it reverts back to more of a similar ministry that there was during the Old Testament. See, we don't grasp Follow me now, follow me if I'm talking in circles and you're not understanding this. We don't grasp the glory that resides within us. It's the glory, it's the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And when the church is gone, that relationship is gone because, right, uh, we're in heaven. And yet there's still a working of the Holy Spirit on earth to save people. We're going to see that this week. There's a different relationship, uh, uh, you know, because he's now uh, more of like he was in the uh, operating, uh, more of like he did in the Old Testament. Okay, here's the other thing I didn't tell you about. I had you read Matthew 24, Then I didn't even talk about it. See, what I wanted to tell you to, uh, about is that futurists have a different, and of which I consider myself, and we consider ourselves here at uh, Calvary, Futurists have a little bit of a different slant on what Matthew 24 represents. And I think it's important that you know it. There's two different views here. There's a traditional view, or I don't know if I'd say traditional view, but there's a view that Matthew 24, 4 through 14, is the buildup or is starting to build up to the time of tribulation. That's called the inter-advent view. The inter-advent view. Many futurists, in other words, interpret this Olivet Discourse in 4 through 14, describing the general signs of this inter-advent age. We're in the church age, the tribulation's over here, and all of a sudden we start seeing increased earthquakes, increased uh, 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 famines. You, You know the thing. And uh, you know all of them, right? Uh, You know, increased wars, increased uh, earthquakes, increased natural disasters, cosmic phenomenon. But there's another view that says, no, by the time chapter or verse 4 and following happen, that the tribulation's already begun. In other words, those birth pangs... That some, those things that some people call birth pangs, those things that increase in intensity, you understand what I'm saying, are inside the tribulation period. You understand that? Okay, and that would mean, so listen to this. I'm going to give you a quote here from a, a person who believes in what's called the tribulation view of Matthew 24. I hope I explained that well. If I didn't explain that well, and you don't understand that, I want you to see me after. I think it's important that you know. There's the inter-advent age where it talks about those wars and pestilence ramping up, which means you can tell that the tribulation's coming in the Olivet Discourse. There are others in the futurist camp who uh, believe that, no, 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 all those things that are ramping up, so to speak, are already inside the tribulation. And here's why it matters. Let me read you a quote. If the inter-advent age view is the correct interpretation, then it would mean that wars, earthquakes, famines, and appearances of false Christ would be constantly on the increase as we approach the tribulation period. However, if these items are references to the beginning of the tribulation, then these wars, earthquakes, famines, false Christ, during any part of the church age would not constitute prophetic signs. Hold on now, listen to this. This explains why some futurists believe that these things are prophetically significant, while other uh, futurists do not think that those are prophetically significant at all since these verses refer to global events that happen inside the seven-year period of tribulation. I want you to think through that. You understand that? You have a lot of people thinking that these things that are ramping up are leading up to the tribulation. Other people in the futurist camp believe uh, Matthew 24, 4 through 14 is not ramping up. It's actually the tribulation itself. You got it? Listen to this, though. I want you to consider something. Revelation 
Chapter 6, verse 2, talks about false messiahs and prophets. Matthew 24, 5 and 11 does the same thing. Wars, Revelation 6, 2 through 4. I think you're going to get the idea after I tell you this. Matthew 24, uh, 6 through 7, wars. Uh, International discord, Revelation 6, 3 through 4. If you go to Matthew 24, it's the next thing in the list. Verse 7, famines, pestilences, persecution and martyrdoms, earthquakes and cosmic phenomena. Listen to this. The reason I'm telling you this, I just want you to, why would a pastor tell you this? Because I want you to think through these things. I was an inner Advent person for a long time. In the several, last several years, I think I've come to be a person who thinks that those things are inside the tribulation. They're inside the tribulation. But that's my view. There are a lot of good people, uh, both sides of the issue. Okay? All right. So um, you're looking at me like, okay, go on, dude. And so I will. (laughs) But see, I think it matters because you're called to rightly divide the word. Not me for you. I'm going to try to do it for you. I'm going to help you. But you're called to rightly divide the word. Okay? And so I want you to do this. And the other thing is, uh, I think that all of these things are a comfort to you. How in the world could this be a comfort to you? I've had several people. I've even had some people this week. I'm scared. I'm still scared. That's okay. I'm not making fun. But see, by the time we're done with this, I don't want you to be scared. I do want you to be concerned for other people. There's a big difference. I want you to be concerned because I want to be concerned. I want us as a team, a body of Christ believers or Christ followers, I want us to be concerned for other people. But see, when we die and go to heaven, or if we're raptured first, We're going to be so consumed with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, we're not going to know less, but we're going to be preoccupied with the best and the most glorious and what our hearts have always been intended to do, which was to praise him. Get it? And so even last week, you know, there was this talk in 1 John about how we can be assured and confident when the Lord comes back? Well, we can. Actually, in 1 Thessalonians, when it's talking about the rapture and then the falling away of the uh, Holy Spirit, listen to this. It actually says, comfort one another with these words. Comfort one another with these words. Listen, our hearts are so fickle, folks. Our hearts are so up and down. You know, we can be, uh, oh, listen, my heart was up and down this week. Let me just give you a little story. Man, I, ha- I came to a fork in the road uh, Monday morning, buddy. Monday morning. I could have gone down the fear, anxiety, worry trail so hard. So one of my kids is in college. And we had all the finances worked out about three weeks ago with the financial aid office, okay? So I wake up. Maybe I was talking to him Sunday, but I think it was Monday morning. I'm talking to him, and we just kind of, we just, you were just saying, oh, praise the Lord, man, praise the Lord. What the Lord worked out, so amazing, and we plugged into the financial aid uh, site just to look one more time what the Lord had done, right? And all of a sudden, I see a bill approaching 10000 bucks. And I'm like, what in the world is going on? What in the world? I thought we were done. I thought we would paid. I thought it was over. And then I start to think, well, wait a minute. He had an outside of the institution scholarship. And I wonder, did he or did I not follow? Here, here, my mind just started going nuts. Did we not fill out the appropriate thing and click the button to say, yes, we accept it? And did we not inform the, and and here I am, I'm telling you, for about 20 minutes, I am like not going to be able to sleep kind of thing, right? Anybody ever been like that? Yeah. 
And then I started to think to myself, my goodness, the Lord totally orchestrated this. What are you worried about, dummy? The Lord did it. I saw his hand in all these things. Even if it was a $10,000 bill, I saw the Lord orchestrate this. He was going to take care of it. By the way, it has been taken care of. There was a glitch Uh, there was a glitch with the scholarship program, so the Lord did take care of it. But see, for about a day and a half, I didn't know that. And I had an opportunity to go down the worry, anxiety, fret, oh no, woe is me, you know, trail. And we all have those every week, don't we? And see, what I'm trying to do here is to introduce to you, as you have your, as you're anointed with the Holy Spirit too, introduce to you uh, the framework of the Book of Revelation, which unlocks your entire future, listen, not just for Thursday, not just for Friday, but for time, just eternity, eternity. It unlocks your future for eternity, and the Bible says that you can be assured and confident and comfort one another with these words. In fact, we sang about it. The Bible tells us that the Son sets us free, indeed, and 1 Corinthians 15 told us, of all things, one, one I'm just picking out one. Of course, he, we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's the best thing. It's the greatest thing. We've uh, been um, um, uh, bought back, uh, bought by the blood of the Son. There's no uh, remission of sins without the shedding of blood. And he shed the blood and bought us back and reconciled us to the Father. That's the greatest and the best. But here's another one, 1 Corinthians 15. You, you get this? There's no sting for the Christian in death. Hey, hey, how free can you be? How free can we be? How free can we be when not even death can touch us? And it's not because we're any great shakes, but because he's great shakes. We could die today, but don't cry for us. We're with the Lord. Now, I know no one wants to go out and get hit by a bus. I'm not saying that or anything like that. But what I'm saying is, you know your future. You understand that there's gazillions of people running around watching the news 24-7 who have no idea, and they're petrified. And they have an opportunity to kind of do what I did with the financial thing and run down that road of fear and anxiety, and you're seeing it everywhere. Or you can come back down, back yourself back out of that lane and go down where the promises of God are, where you know where you're going and who you're with. And that's what this is. And so last week, look at this. We left off with a question. Who can stand? Of course, we'll be standing in heaven at this time because chapter 4 and chapter 5 talks about what we're doing in heaven, but who can stand? The great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Remember, two of the great purposes of the tribulation period, two is one, to deal with the nation of Israel, to prepare them to see and recognize their Messiah. Two, to do away with wickedness, to pour out God's wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. That's what his whole agenda is for this time period, tribulation. Remember, you say, well, wait a minute. Is that harsh? Does that mean you're kind of thinking that in your mind? Wait a second. We just went through this on Sundays. You sit here now, I sit here now and watch the news and watch that happen and go, Lord, why? Why isn't there any justice? And the Bible tells us that he's waiting long-suffering because he wants, for as many people as possible, salvation. You talk about grace and mercy. But when he comes back, he will set things right. And he is a God of holiness and justice, pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejecting world, and we saw it last week. I can't even believe it sometimes when I read the commentators. They talk about how terrible the last three and a half years of the tribulation is, and it is. It's terrible. But I got to tell you, folks, chapter 6 ain't too pleasant itself. God is going to pour out his 
justice and wrath on a Christ-rejecting world. And right at that point, John, by the Holy Spirit, says, wait a second. The great day, it's here. I'm seeing it. Who is able to stand? And guess what happens in chapter 7? He gets the answer. Who's able to stand in the great day of wrath? And remember now, the church is out of here. Who's able to stand in the great day of wrath? Well, here you go. You're going to concentrate on two groups of people. The first group is in verses 1 through 8, 144,000. The next group is in 9 through the end of the chapter, and the great multitude. And we're going to talk about who these people are. So let me read with you. The word of the Lord. After these things, verse 1, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, uh, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or in any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, of course from the east, we'll talk about that in a minute, having the seal of not just God, but the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. One hundred and forty-four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, twelve thousand sealed. Reuben, twelve thousand. Gad, twelve thousand sealed. Asher, 12,000. Naphtali, 12,000. Manasseh, 12,000. You getting tired of me reading this? I'm going to say I'm saying that for a purpose. Uh, Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. The tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. And uh, the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. And of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, market of all nations. I just want you to think about something. Verses 1 through 8, it's of one nation. They're from one nation. Now, this is a different people of all nations, tribes, peoples, tongues. And what are they doing? They're standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, of course they're saying this when they have palm branches in their hands, folks. Does it remind you of anything? Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders uh, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Whoa. Now, that's deep. That's profound. So let's talk about this stuff. After these things, in verse 1, I I saw four angels. Here we go with those angels again, right? They're standing at the four corners of the earth. Folks, this isn't a debate right here about whether the earth is flat or it's round. And believe me, some people argue about it here. This is just saying north, south, east, West, that he saw at the four corners of the earth, north, south, east, and west. He's not debating whether or not the earth is flat or round. Of course the earth is round. Okay, but anyway, uh, these things I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. And he was holding the four winds, four winds of the earth. Now, if you study the Old Testament, which you precious saints do, 
you know that wind in the Old Testament is a picture, is a type of judgment. Let me just read you something from Hosea 13, 15. Though he is fruitful among his brethren, an east wind shall come. The wind of the Lord shall come uh, from the wilderness. Then his spring will become day, and his fountains shall be dried up. And you could look, I'll give you the references, Genesis 41, verses 6, 23, 32. You could look in Isaiah 27, 8, Ezekiel 17, 10, 19, 12, and Jonah 4, 8. And you would see that in the Old Testament, wind in this manner is speaking of judgment, and especially from the east, when it comes from the east. And so what John is saying here is there's judgment happening upon the earth. There's judgment. I see it. But the four, uh, here we have these four angels at the four corners of the earth holding the four winds. Some people say that four is the number of earthly stuff. Five, the number of grace. Uh, grace. Anyway, four, the number of earthly stuff. So, I don't know. You, you can think about that. Read it. Be a, be a Berean. But whatever's happening, they're at the four corners of the earth, and they're holding the four winds of the earth that the wind wouldn't blow on the earth. In other words, I'm gonna, they're going to hold back judgment. Now, I want you to know something. There are many people who interpret chapter 7 as being chronological, as much as it can be chronological, because you have the glorified, resurrected Christ, chapter 1. You have the church age, chapters 2, chapter 3. You see uh, uh, the church in heaven, 4 and 5, and then you start sealing, seeing the seals open, and then people say, well, okay, chapter 7 now comes right after chapter 6, so this is chronological. But there's many others who believe, oh, no, this isn't chronological at all. This is just a picture of what's been happening during the tribulation, whether it's happening uh, uh, you know, in chronological order, or uh, this is just some sort of parenthetical uh, event that uh, the Lord put in here, or an episode, or an interlude. Did I say interlude twice? Anyway, uh, uh, that um, uh, is showing us basically what's going on in heaven, or what, what heavenly things are happening uh, during the tribulation period. That's a better way of saying it. What, what uh, heavenly things are happening during the tribulation period because, you see, these 144,000, of course, are right here on the earth. You understand? And so you could be a Berean and think about that. I don't think whether you believe this is chronological or whether you believe this is just an interlude showing you what's been happening during the first three and a half uh, years or so of the tribulation, uh, I don't know. You be a Berean and think about that. But here's what I do know. That judgment is held back here for a time, sometime at the beginning of the tribulation. Judgment is held back. How that happens, I have no idea. But judgment is held back, and the Lord, I believe, and this is important for your learning, marks out 144,000 Jewish people. What is one of the great purposes of the tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel? It's to wake up the nation of Israel, because the uh, uh, verses in Romans 11 say that all Israel shall be saved. Now, we have friends and brothers and sisters who we love very much who say that uh, chapters, or excuse me, revelation has already happened. But they got to remember something. If it's already happened, when is that promise in Romans 11 going to come to fruition? Because you watch the news now, folks, and you're like, I don't know, but whatever. And so, what's happening during the period of the tribulation time? Well, there's the sealed of Israel. Whether or not, here's another different, two different views. I'm, I'm just full of them tonight, aren't I? <laughs> Some people believe that inside the tribulation, because the rapture happens, people have been talking about uh, the rapture, there's this thing that's happened, and people have been concentrating and focused on Jewish people. They see all of this, and then they start to... Uh, uh, think about the Scriptures because they, the Jewish people know the Scriptures, folks. They become Christians inside the tribulation, and now God picks 144,000 of them. 
Or some people believe this is the waiting remnant. Because when you read through the Old Testament, don't you, one of the things that you find is God's always looking for the Jewish remnant. Whatever it is, whichever it is, at the beginning of the tribulation period, God, through this process that John saw, withholds judgment and seals right on the forehead 144,000 Jewish people. Why did I read it to you like that? Why did I read it to you like that? Because God took the time by the Holy Spirit to write it out. And it's clear that he's writing about Jewish people. Is it not? It's clear that he's writing about Jewish people. Why would he go through the whole trouble of naming all of these tribes of Israel to tell you he picked 12,000 and that there were 144,000? Why would he do that? Here's why I believe he did it, because that's really what he's going to do. (laughs) I'm kind of being funny, but I'm kind of not. He's really going to do it. Whether you believe they got saved within the tribulation or they were a waiting remnant there waiting for the uh, rapture to happen and now God sealed them, guess what is on their forehead? Well, the Bible tells you. You want to know? It's in chapter 14, verse 1. Go there. You see it for yourself. Then I looked, and behold, a lamb was standing on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000. I would say that's them. Having his father's name written on their foreheads. Now think about what all this means. What does a seal mean? What does a seal mean uh, uh, in the Bible? It's a, uh, a protective seal given to the righteous. You see it in Ezekiel before, do you know this? In Ezekiel, they have some scriptures about this before there's judgment coming upon Jerusalem. They talk about a seal being written on those he's saving. A seal, what does it speak of? Oh, this is so beautiful. It speaks of protection. And it speaks of, oh, isn't this wonderful? Possession, property, in the right way, right? You belong to the Lord. These people belong to the Lord, right? These people belong to the Lord. Uh, uh, It speaks of purpose. I love that one. Oh, my goodness. You've been sealed here, and it speaks of purpose. What is that? Man, leads me right into what I wanted to talk about. What is the purpose of the 144,000? Well, it doesn't tell you explicitly, but come on, it has to be this. Why do you think he's coupled, the Holy Spirit has coupled right together in this interlude, the 144,000 and the saints that are saved inside the tribulation period? It's because the 144,000, most people believe, I'm one of them, is preaching the gospel all around and they're protected They're protected, and they're protected, and people get saved, and then you see on the other side of this, the second half of what we read, the people who were saved. But remember, God sealed the 144,000, right? He sealed the 144,000. They're protected. They're sealed. But now, these people who come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ during the tribulation period, you remember this, Thessalonians tells us, It's going to be very difficult to do. Of course, nothing's too difficult for God. One thing that the Bible tells us is that there will be a spirit of deception sent to the people in the tribulation. So make it difficult to come to the Lord. But apparently, these people overcame that. But then, what else does it tell us? That later on, as we read, if you don't take the mark of the beast, and you buy and sell and all that stuff you're going to be martyred for your faith, right? And these are those tribulation saints. Now, turn with me back here uh, to chat verse 2. I saw another angel ascending from the east, and he had this seal of the living God. He had the seal of the living God. See, that's so beautiful. What, were the, what was the 144,000 Jewish, I'll say, evangelists? What were they preaching Well, the living God is the only one who could dole out, dish out the seals. 
And it's not just the God we serve. See, that's the beautiful part. You can talk to people in tribulation, trouble, trying times. Catch this. They might even be headed for... Oh, how, did, how did I come up with that? They might even be headed for a beheading. And you can preach the gospel of Jesus Christ because to be absent there is to be present there. And they know. I, in, other words, in other words, what I'm preaching to you is the living God. I know about the living God because he has unsealed it and showed it to us. And now we're going to go out and we're not preaching about a dead God. No, our God is alive. He rose out of the grave. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he sends us a helper so that we can be bold out in this world that's really dark and really anxious and really fearful, and some of them are in a tribulation, and you might feel funny, you know? I mean, how can I tell them about Jesus? I mean, they're thinking about a $10,000 financial aid bill. Or they're thinking about a marriage that's splitting. Or they're thinking about somebody has died. Well, see, Jesus is the answer, folks. And that's the thing. The cross is the answer for us. First, chief need of man, the cross. To be weighted no more down by the guilt and shame and bondage of our sin. And now to be free to live and to love as Christ loves, see. So now whatever God or, or comes our way, whatever comes our way, what it, whether it be tribulation or whatever, we're praising the Lord and sharing the gospel and we're backing out of those places, listen, that I want, tried to go down on Monday morning, backing out of those places saying, God, you handle this, I'm going to keep on mission. Right? You see it? We want to keep on mission, folks. What's our mission? Is to glorify God and to bring fruit that glorifies God, so other people can taste of the fruit. And that might mean it's your job. I mean, that's perfectly legit. Praise the Lord. Not one person in here has the same job. You go different places every day. Praise the Lord. I'm so thankful that you do, so you can serve there. Here's what you do. You preach the living God. You know the living God. Now you preach the living God. He's not dead. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. And he said, listen, don't do that. Don't harm the earth till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And now you know what it's written on there. He belongs to me or she belongs to me. The Father, God. Right, so, so now we got all that. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 100, I mean... He heard this, folks. He heard this. 144,000. Now, I've got to tell you, there are people here who believe these people, this is important. If you're bored, come out of your boredom right now because you don't want to miss this. There are people right here that are going to tell you that these people, these 144,000, is just a picture of the church. And that has great implications for you because if that's true, the church is in the tribulation. And they're going to be sealed to survive in the tribulation. Understand what I mean? But see, we know that's not true because we, he came in the clouds for us. We were caught up with him. And now these are real Jewish people. Now, you know, I've been guilty of something around here. I shouldn't have said this. I, I know what I was saying, but I shouldn't have said it the way I've said it. And I've said it this way for five years, but I was convicted this way. The lost tribes of Israel, never to be seen from or heard from again. Well, that's not accurate. <laughs> Wherever they are right now, and I don't know, the ten tribes of Israel that were taken out by the Assyrians, every time I was preaching in first, uh, Second Kings and then all the, uh, the uh, uh, prophets, I was saying, oh, never to be heard from again. Well, that's not true. I, I know what I meant. I meant until the time of the end, but still it wasn't accurate. See, God has a, he knows, listen to this, he knows down to the person who he's going to pick. 12,000 from each. Now, there's some interesting things with this. Oh, by the way, folks, the New Testament says you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Ephesians say you've been sealed. 
2 Corinthians 1 says, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's a down posit, uh, guaranteeing your entrance into heaven. You believe, now listen, listen. That means you are, belong to God. You're, you have purpose. You have meaning. You're sealed. So you're protected. So whether you get beheaded or whatever, you're going to be with the Lord forever. So am I. We're going to be with the Lord if you're in Christ. Okay. Now, listen, 12 tribes of Israel. But guess what, folks? The 12 tribes ain't in there. (laughs) Here's what's happening. Let me explain it to you. Oh, I can see some of you who love to search the Bible. I see her back there. Their wheels are turning. They're like, what's up? Well, here's what's up. Uh, The 12 sons of Israel. Do you know this, that Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh? And Joseph's portion or inheritance went a half and a half back in the Old Testament. Ephraim got half, Manasseh got half. Remember that? Oh, yeah. And do you remember, too, that the Levites, we sang it on Sunday. It's so beautiful. The Levites didn't get any land. Remember that? The Levites, God said, hey, I'm your portion. What a beautiful way to live. I'm your portion, God said to the Levites. So the Levites didn't get any. But guess what? In verse 7, there are the Levites. And, oh, wait a minute, Manasseh's in there. But wait a minute. In verse 8, where is Ephraim? Well, Joseph, the dad. This is a way of saying Ephraim, and I'm going to describe it in a minute. But guess what? There's one tribe missing. Dan. Dan's missing. Dan is missing. So what's going on here? Well, lots of views on this. What's happening? Well, in Genesis 47, when uh, Jacob gave the blessing, if you go back there and read it, and you read uh, what kind of quote-unquote blessing Dan got, it wasn't a very good blessing. And some people believe that the Antichrist actually comes from the tribe of Dan, and therefore that's not included here. Hmm. I'm not so sure. I think the Antichrist is probably from European descent. We'll talk about that later in another time. Other people, other people think, well, you know what? Dan is the uh, the tribe that first led, sorry, Dan. Dan is the tribe that first led Israel into idolatry, into idolatry. Remember this? Dan's the first tribe to lead them into idolatry. Guess who followed suit? Ephraim. Ephraim followed suit. You can look it up. I'll give you the scriptures. Dan was so dastardly. God gives them a portion in the south of Israel. They can't fight off the people they're supposed to fight out and knock off the country. So guess what they do? They move all the way up to the north. And then they get real complacent. And they say, you know, I know we're supposed to go back to Jerusalem, which is about 70 miles walk. So let's just build us a little altar up here and we'll worship up here and then they started they did it from convenience sake and man is there a a sermon there for the american church but they did it for convenience sake and they, they totally went awry totally went off of the rails and some people believe dan is excluded for that reason third group of people believe this is just one of the ways in which um uh uh genealogies or the tribes were written. If you read how the tribes are written, rarely do, do you find it to be the same all the time because of the context of what's being written in the Bible. There are things that the author by the Holy Spirit is doing that kind of play on that. Get it? But let, let me go back to view number two. If that's true about Dan, think about it. They're not sealed and maybe, maybe not, if this is your particular view, they head through the tribulation period. You say, well, oh my, that's rough. Yeah, but you know what? God has a way of being merciful and gracious. He has a way of just being merciful and gracious. And if you look at the millennial temple, 
It's found in Ezekiel 40 through 48. If you look at the Millennial Temple, Ezekiel 40 through 48, you start reading, listen to this, Millennial Temple, millennium happens after the tribulation period. If you look at the Millennial Temple, you go there and you get to uh, verse or chapter 47. Guess who's one of the first tribes mentioned? Dan. He's included the tribe of Dan in the millennial kingdom. In fact, he's included them so much, oh, I'll have to take you there. I get excited about this. The mercy and grace of God. He's included them so much, go to Ezekiel 48 in the millennial temple. You see, in, in, um, right in 48, uh, he's the first one mentioned, or the first tribe. It's the first tribe mentioned there in Dan, of 48, in the division of the land. He gets a portion. So in the build-up to the millennial temple, as they're dividing up the land, Dan gets a portion. Listen, come on, folks. You ever blown it so bad you think you could never recover with God? Peter did. Remember when he uh, resurrected, he told some of the people, make sure you go back and tell such and such and such and such. Oh, and make sure you tell Peter. Okay, remember how beautiful that was? He's just trying to restore him. Here, Dan has a portion, but then I want you to see something. Look down in verse 32. When we're talking here at the end of 48, of the gates of the city and its name. Listen to this in 42. And then you're going to hear me uh, get choked up. <laughs> On the east side, 4,500 cubits, three gates. One gate for Joseph, one gate for Benjamin, and one gate for Dan. Joseph and Benjamin, the two favorite sons that came from the favorite wife, Rachel. And he includes Dan with them. <laughs> on the pillars, on the gates. He wasn't at the back, at the end. You, you, you see? Maybe I'm not making the point right. But do you see the mercy and grace of God? When you see, and he's even included on the gate with the favored sons. Dan. Beautiful. Okay, so you see all these, and you see these uh, 144,000, and then you see them right up against these tribulation saints. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could number. A great multitude which no one could number. You see, remember what's happening during the tribulation period. People are being woken up. Of course, the Jewish uh, 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 people are being dealt with the nation, and there's salvation going to come to the Jewish nation. How, how in, oh, by the way, I, I know I'm skipping around. Listen to this. Here's another reason why it's a pre-tribulation rapture. If the 144,000 are doing what we think they're doing, which is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and going out and fulfilling, not really, I understand what I'm saying here, but in a sense, they're doing the same thing the church did with the Great Commission. Why? Because the church isn't there. The church isn't there, and now here you got uh, these built-in missionaries. What do you do at missionary school? You go to missionary school, let's say four years. Two years, you're studying the Bible, you're learning doctrine. Guess what you do for the other two years? You learn the culture of where you're going to go. You learn the language. It takes you two years just to even get to be a beginner in this stuff, and then you go. Here, God in his geniusness has built-in people who can share and love and talk and reason from the scriptures and share the gospel and speak the language to the people he wants to speak it to. They don't have to get trained in all this. Here they are. They're, they're uh, already there. And then you see a great multitude. People were gone. 
And all nations and all people and all tongues and all, everybody, all tribes, they're standing before the throne, which is beautiful, isn't it? Because you can come from this kind of economic situation or this kind of economic situation, or you can be, uh, you know, look like this or look like that, or you could be on this side of the tracks or on that side of the tracks, but look at this. When it comes to the Lord, boom, even. Nobody's in any different spot. We're all there. Just here they are. The, the tribulation sh- saints are all there. And so when I say we, I'm kind of skipping ahead because this is an unveiling. It's showing us what the tribulation saints will do. But guess what, folks? It's going to show us what people will be doing in heaven. And this is what you and I will be doing in heaven. We saw it already in 4 and 5. But these from all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne. There's the throne again. Remember when he comes up in chapter 4, he's enthralled by the throne. Remember in chapter 5, guess what he's enthralled with? The lamb. Before the lamb, clothed with white robes. Why do they have white robes? Because you have to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It's the same thing for anyone. People who come to faith in the tribulation period come for the same reason you do. Because they put their trust and faith in the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And it's, remember, your sins, though they're scarlet, are white as snow. Right? So they come in white robes, and they're with palm branches, palm branches, which always speaks of victory, with palm branches in their hands, and they're crying out with a loud voice. What did they say on Palm Sunday? Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? Save us now. Salvation belongs to our God. There's this great victory, and they recognize it. You know what they could be doing? Oh, woe is me. I got killed. And it is. No one wants to get killed. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying be senseless or not be cautious. or No one's saying that. What they're saying is, oh, this is far better than anything. Here it is. It's far better. I'm here. We're, we're, vic- we're victorious. Whether, whether, wherever we came from, we're victorious. And they're crying out with a loud voice, salvation, which belongs to our God. He sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before their throne and they worshiped God saying, amen. Of course they did. Can you imagine what they were living in in the tribulation period and how intense? And they're, they're just fighting the good fight and praising the Lord. And now, boom, here they are. By the blood of the Lamb, here they are, and they're worshiping, and they're falling on their face. And you know what was amazing is just, isn't it? We just come in here for just a little sliver of this, just like little. It's so awesome to just put away the stuff and to just praise the Lord and forget about everything and just, just to praise the Lord. And here, they're just doing it to worship God. And what do they say? Blessing and honor and glory, or blessing and glory and wisdom. Thanksgiving and honor and power and might. It's like a run-on sentence. I just can't stop. I know the realities of what I've been studying, what God or people have been telling me, they say. The, I know the realities now. As much as I can know, they're saying, and I can't stop. I can't stop with the superlatives, the descriptors. I just can't. Everything belongs to him. I agree. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power. I can't stop. It's just going to come tumbling out. You won't be able to help it. And might and be to our God forever and ever. And then I find this just amazingly fascinating. So then one of the elders, remember the 24 elders, they're there too, and they, he answered, saying to me, to John, who's writing this, <laughs> listen to what he's saying. Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? Now, this is fascinating because John knows, or excuse me, the elder knows the answer, which tells you something, folks. Listen, I always tell you this. You come to me. I'm going to help you get answers. I'm going to help you get answers. But what I really want to do is ask you questions. I want you to figure it out. Oh, I'll help you, yes. I'll send you the stuff. I'll do that. That's not what I'm saying. 
But there's something beautiful. If you study the life of Jesus, he's always asking people questions. Why? Because he just doesn't want to force feed it to you. He wants you to uh, think and learn. I'm convinced of it. He wants you to think and to know. He wants you to know and hear. He doesn't want you to know because the pastor knows. He doesn't want you to know because grandma knows. He doesn't want you to know because dad or mom knows. He wants you to know. And so he asks questions. The elder is smart, beautiful thing to do if you're mature in the Lord. Don't, don't just make robots. Have people rightly divide the word. So ask them questions. And here he says, well, what do you think? I mean, who are these arrayed in white robes and where do they come from? And you, he must have been saying, I don't know. And look what the elder says. Think. You know. You know. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood, just like we talked. Though your sins be scarlet, they're white as snow. It's a weird phrase, and made them white in the blood. How can you make them white in the blood? Well, Jesus can. And he makes them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, and these ones, the tribulation saints, they serve him day and night in the temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Now, you know that's for all of us, folks, right? That's the whole story of the Bible. In one way, you could summarize the Bible this way. God's presence with his people. Here he is in the garden. He's walking and talking with the people, as, as, however that happens. It says he walked with Abraham. He walked with Enoch. You know these things. And then sin happened, and obviously uh, we rebelled. But when you read the last chapter, it says he's going to come and dwell with us. He's, uh, Jesus came, and it says he tabernacled among us. It's, it's his presence. That's what we're after. We're not after. Here, here's what I thought when somebody shared the gospel with me. I said this last week. I thought I was in for like, okay, Susie Orman's 10 rules of Christian living. Let me find them out, and I'll do them. How to be a good little boy. How to be the best Christian, because I'm competitive. How can I do this and do that and all these sorts of things? See, and it ain't about that. It's about the presence of the Lord. King David had it right, Psalm 27. Don't you love this? One thing I have desired of the Lord, David said, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Listen to this. Here's the part. Here's the part to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What are we going to be doing? Well, these tribulation saints here will be serving him and will be spending time in his presence. People are going to be praising the Lord and he who sits on the throne will dwell and they will neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore and the sun shall not strike them nor any heat for the lamb who is in the midst of the throne, look at this, will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eye. Just think about that. Who cried this week? You don't have to raise your hand. But who cried this week? Who, who was lonely this month? Yes. Who was hurting? Who felt like they were betrayed? Who's holding things inside? They just, listen, listen, folks. <laughs> There's something waiting for us that's beyond anything we could ever ask, hope for, think, and it's greater than anything, and it's him. It's him. Why do you think he would be able to wipe away every tear from our eyes? Because the tears are stopping. <laughs> and they can go away as we just focus on him. Who are these people? Well, uh, uh, who can stand in the day of the Lord? Who are these people? Well, the 144,000, right? These are 144,000 converted or uh, remnant Jews who uh, are specifically going around sharing the gospel, preaching the living God, and they see the fruit of their labor in heaven. Tribulation saints who come out and are sealed in heaven, or who, who have been sealed and come to heaven and praise the Lord and find all of the glories 
that are awaiting us in heaven. That's who these people are. Let's pray. Well, Lord, uh, thank you for this um, wonderful time just dwelling upon who you are and how good you are, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we don't want to diminish, in a sense, there are struggles and tribulations that go on in this earth. And they are difficult and hard. But listen, Lord, we need help fixing our eyes upon you, setting our minds on things above, understanding that we have to deal with the responsibilities of life, but deal with them in a solid, stable, responsible way that glorifies you. And to meet problems or opportunities, whichever way you choose to look at it, head on by the grace of God, by the Spirit of God, so that we can be a witness for God in the middle of all these difficult circumstances, Lord. So I pray that you would help us be ones who could share and love and point people to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, you guys, uh, you guys have a great week. I'll just say this. You know, we pray every week to go and have gospel appointments. Well, oftentimes the gospel appointments, people don't come up to you and say, tell me about the rapture or tell me about salvation. You don't really see that so much. It happens sometimes. It happens sometimes. What I would pray is that you and I and we would be like that elder. We'd speak up. We'd ask questions. This is so easy, folks. I tell you the one I use, although I haven't been able to use it in about six months, is when I get in the elevator and there's somebody in there and they always do this, it's almost guaranteed every evening as I leave downtown. Whew, I'm glad that's over. And I always say, well, mine's just beginning. And they say, well, what do you mean yours is just beginning? And off you go. So I pray that you and I and we would be ones who would speak up, not just wait for the opportunities, but speak up in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. If there's anything I could or we could pray about, please come up and we'll pray. Otherwise, have a great evening. God bless you guys.